Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and as always, I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hello! On today's episode, we are going to be chatting about our personal philosophies on loudness. This is not an episode on normalization. If you want those, those are somewhere in the teens and 20s as far as episodes go. Uh, This is about our personal philosophy, how we go about getting things at the levels that we have them at and what we do and... Yeah, is the loudness war still going on? Might not touch on it too much. But uh, as Sam and I like to boast, we also, we will consider ourselves a little bit of an authority because we consider ourselves to have the loudest podcast currently in existence. So take that, (laughs) other audio podcasts. So if nothing else, this will be a podcast about how to make your podcast sound loud and not like smashed asshole. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sam, Matt. are you ready to get into it? That was very loud of you. I'm, yeah, it's, it's the theme. Lovely. I'm are ready. You ready to get into it? Perfect. Ready, ready to get into it. You want me to tee up? You can tee me up. I'm ready to golf. Consider <laughs> yourself teed. Okay, great. Loudness. This is something that everyone seems to be obsessed about, and it's understandable because our ear naturally likes louder things initially. And this episode, for me at least, is not at all going to be a try to trick you to make dynamic music. I would like to Mm -hmm. start with saying you should make whatever music you would like, be it dynamic or compressed or loud or bright or dark or bass heavy or treble heavy or exciting or wide. Whatever you want to make, I want to encourage everybody to make that type of music. So before... We get into all of this. I want to make sure everybody understands that. So basically for me, loudness is heavily based on how our our ear perceives loudness. So LUFS is basically measuring between 1K and 5K, and that's where our ears are most sensitive. So... For us on the mastering end, we know that if we get that area right, then most likely our master will sound louder, you know, maybe than other people, or at least it'll at least compete with what's out there commercially. So for me, loudness is heavily based on first making sure your mix is balanced, but then also understanding that our ear does perceive certain areas as louder than others. So certain, sometimes I will have clients ask me, how do I get my master so loud? Or how did I do that, you know, to their mix when they couldn't seem, you know, their reference limiter mix that was approved that is reading loud on the meter. I beat that mix, um, you know, their faux master by maybe even having a dB or two less on the meters, but it's perceived mm. as louder. Um, that all comes from a proper EQ balance and it comes from a proper understanding of how our, e- our ears perceive sound and then also not just ears, but how speakers react for <clears throat> me. So I know that most people will be listening on laptop iPhone, earbuds, and a car. 
those are probably the four main spots. And mainly people probably listen on either earbuds or just literally directly out of their iPhone for the first listen. I have so many people who literally will hit play off the download link on their iPhone and will listen on their iPhone first. And these are people that are, you know, sign label this is like high ups to indies. I've asked a lot of people, you know, where do you listen to your masters and a lot of them will say, you know, I'm just so excited I just hit play on the link and they just listen. Which That's is actually where like if I'm going to do my first reference, mm-hmm. typically it's like on a drive home or if it's like like if I'm just kind of like sitting around at night, yeah. I'll normally pull it up. And it's one of the reasons I like using Dropbox is because it's at least for me, it's pretty easy as far as like file management. Yeah. And then you can play things back. And I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe a few summers ago, Dropbox um I th- I believe they like regardless of what's uploaded. I'm pretty sure it's all converted into MP3 upon playback. You are correct. But whenever you download out, um, it it is at that native resolution yes. and file size. Yeah. Um, so it's like okay, I'm hearing this probably as worse as it's ever going to listen. <laughs> exactly. I'm listening through my iPhone, and it's like okay, cool. Yeah, this makes sense. And holy crap, that kick sounds really good through exactly. like iPhone 10 speaker so cool <laughs> yes i can dig this exactly first check mark right. so i i also do that i do that for reference yeah so that's what a lot of people are listening to that doesn't mean you know i work on an iphone speaker and trust that but i do know that is um one of the main references people will check their master on or even mix on um, and so I will think about that um, because the iPhone, I mean, every iPhone's different. They all have a different speaker setup. Um, I'm assuming just because they all sound different to me. The newer iPhones have like essentially actual stereo, where the older ones have just mono. So mm-hmm. when I went from an iPhone SE to an iPhone 8, um, I instantly felt like I was cheating because everything sounded better on the 8. That I was doing compared to the SE, um, so that was kind of encouraging to me. <laughs> side, this is just a side tangent, but I used to reference um, things on the SE, which is basically a mono speaker that's awful. And then when I bought the iPhone eight, I was like, oh, things aren't as bad as I thought they were. <laughs> they sound <laughs> really great, <laughs> you know, competitive. So that's. Um, you know, that's something that when we talk about loudness, you always have to be thinking about how is the consumer going to be um, essentially consuming the audio. And each speaker has an EQ curve, which is something we talked a little bit about on the <coughs> EQ and mastering episode. But iPhones are notoriously known for having a pretty um, big boost on like the 100 hertz area. This is kind of earbuds and the speakers, and then like a pretty big boost on the top end, uh, like 12K and above. And then that's kind of how it rolls off around 100 hertz, starts to roll off. Um, it's a very inaccurate curve, the earbuds and iPhone speakers. Um, but you can achieve loudness by knowing that curve because you know what it's going to boost and what it's going to cut so you can play into those frequencies. So something I do like a like maybe I'll just go down kind of like some normal loudness philosophy is basically 
within mastering and mixing all of audio, we basically have, you know, you can get, you have limited headroom. So um, when we talk about headroom, we're talking about voltage, essentially, um, measurement of voltage. And so certain frequencies take up more of the headroom, and low end is a huge um, headroom suck, essentially. <laughs> it Low end will take up the most voltage um, because of the type of sound wave it is and the way it reacts, it will take up the most voltage in your mix and or master. So one of the quickest ways to get a louder mix or master is to remove low end, which is very typical of limiters. That's what limiters do usually first is um, if you're able to listen to the delta, it will probably be kind of sound kind of like bit reducted, but it will mainly be low end that's being removed, especially the older limiters like L1, L2. When you slam those, you basically notice your low end just starts to vanish, which is one of my tips that we've talked about before. But like the L2 to me um, cleans up a mix or master really quickly. Um, if you have a muddy or bass heavy track, an L2 taking off like a dB or two immediately kind of thins it out and cleans it up. So that's just a little tip for you. But you know, to get loudness, basically you can cut low end. That doesn't mean you should, but one of the kind of normal practices within mastering is like to cut 32 hertz and below or start to roll off. Around there, that's what I was taught. That's pretty much standard still. But we do that to remove some of that low-end rumble or low-end sub even that we know will never be experienced outside of like the studio world. So you have to be very careful when you do that. I want to make sure everyone hears that that is not always the right move. But removing low-end information will then free up headroom to where you can make even still the low end, it's just not the subsonic low end. Um, it'll allow you to then compress the mid-range and the top end more and raise that level up, which is, like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, is your ears are most sensitive to that like 1K to 5K range. Um, and so if you could have more of that going on, then your track will be perceived as louder. A quick like trick you could do at home like after this episode or if you want pause it just go to your like last mix or master and just do a super wide cue between like 800 hertz and 15k boost at 1 db and your mix or master will sound instantly louder like if you ab it um and then obviously you're boosting a dB, so it will be louder. But even if you level match that back down, that's what I was about to say. It's gonna even if you, even if you put them up, it, yeah. it'll just be like, wow. It's like, why is this like cutting through a little yeah. bit better? You'll immediately feel like you hit some secret button <clears throat> or found some trick, but you can make it sound louder instantly just by doing that simple thing. Um, and there are, let me just demystify. There are a lot of guys in the industry that know that trick and that's a lot of what 
people do um, to achieve the certain loudness that you hear is they heavily compress that area with a multiband or a compressor that's you know side chained to you know to miss the low end, and they will compress that one, two, three, four dB, and then boost it back up. And that is to me how one of the ways you can achieve you know your song sounding louder instantly. And that's something I do at the mastering stage is work heavily on that perceived loudness area, not just boosting it, but to make sure it sounds terrific because that's where kind of our ears are most sensitive. That's where they're constantly like being just like analyzing what's going on in that area. And if you don't get that area right in your mix or master or even engineering, you will never have a loud sounding mix or master. So that's kind of like one of my first main go-to tips. And Matt, I don't know if you want to let me just like keep going for like ten more minutes, but I basically could go through my <laughs> my tips, or we can change it up. You can give your tips, and we can just bounce back and forth. I mean, my biggest thing is if you're ever curious why you're not able to get your master or mix up to a desired level, my first thing I will tell you is go check out that low end. Yes. And I really, like, everything starts there. I mean, you look at, say, like, you go, but you pull up, like, an RMS meter. I don't, I do absolutely nothing with a Luffs meter. I mean, <laughs> I can I can check it every now and then, but it, it just holds, like, no relevancy in my life. It just, I, I just... I just don't really care. Um, everything is just off of a off of an RMS level, and but if you're looking at it, you have to understand that you can sway that level. And if you have a ton of low end and you are just slamming it, yeah, you might be getting up into the incredibly higher level regions, but you're comparing it to other. Uh, mixes, masters, etc. And you're like, how come I'm not how come this isn't really jiving for me? We're like you're you're even metering other songs and you're like, we're at the same level, but why does my song sound quieter? Mm-hmm. It is one hundred percent probably because of that low end. And you're not focusing on that area that Sam was talking about. But it's like anything you can do to kind of cut all the non-essential fat out of a song, specifically in the low end, while retaining everything that needs to be relevant sonically uh, will help you out. So say uh, any of you guys who uh, mix front of house. One of the front of house tricks is you look at an instrument and or a vocal or whatever and you're like, okay, we have a female vocal. She doesn't really need much of this, like below 100 range. And anything, and like 100 hertz, and anything that I am collecting from her microphone sonically below 100 hertz. And don't get me wrong, there are some female vocals that are like deeper female vocals that benefit from that range. And I, this is just a very broad. Uh, uh, statement. This is not a, a general thing. Um, 
anything that her mic is probably collecting on a live stage that is below 100 hertz is hurting you way down the line when you're mixing something and you can't figure out why your low end is all beefy. So, and beefy not in a good way. Um, so it's like if you're just miking overheads and all you want is cymbals, you don't want anything else from the kit, it's like, well, then only accept what you're using. I mean, it's kind of funny. Um, I get kind of barbaric when it comes to mixing front of house and um, say like there's an acoustic guitar that's just kind of like sitting in the back and I'll normally layer the way that I'll mix. Mm -hmm. And so if there's a song that gets really heavy and the acoustic guitar is just like never going to be heard except for some of the down moments, I'm only going to allow that acoustic guitar to come through and I'm not going to touch the fader. I'm only going to allow it to come through and the parts of it that I want to come through in that low end. And I always have the whole saying, it's like you can't make a crappy guitar sound like a Taylor. You can't make a crappy <laughs> guitar sound like a Martin. You can't make it sound like a $4,000 Gibson. You're just not, like, it's the exact same. You're not going to make a 12-string sound like, or I'm sorry, you're not going to, yeah, a 6-string sound like a 12-string and vice versa. You're just not, like, yeah, you can get fancy and do all, like, a bunch of stuff in post or whatnot, but it's like for the broad scheme of things, um, you're just not going to make it. So you don't try to make things what they're not. And so I've actually just stopped using parts of instruments that I don't want. There's this one get uh, there's one guitarist that I think of in particular who I don't much really care for the, his playing or anything else. And in the down moments, the only thing that I really want is a little tiny bit at the top where you hear like a ting 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 ting, ting like like a, of the acoustic guitar. Yeah. And so people are wondering and they're looking at like how I'm EQing and compressing this guitar and stuff like that. Why are you only focused on that area? It's be, it's like, well, that's the only part that one sounds like an acoustic guitar and that I could probably make sound at least palatable. So we're going to cut everything out besides that part because when everything drops out besides like a little bit of ambience and you just want that little like uh, presence of a guitar in the back, it's like that's what you're going to do. So you cut out like all the fat that you don't want. And I'm not saying, do, like, I don't think that would really fly much in a studio environment, but in, like, a front-of-house environment, that's kind of what I do. As far as masters are concerned, um, I'm always playing with the shelves and the cutting filters and whatnot on my backs. I really like that. I think, well, first of all, I think that Vintage King and Sweetwater really need to give both me and Sam commission off what we sell. <laughs> because holy crap, I probably sell $25,000 worth of stuff between the two companies, anything on gear sluts and any and reverb. I deserve some type of commission. Everybody, well, with that said, everybody should have a Bax. Like the dangerous Bax is just absolutely lovely. And just to go in and to cut out 12 hertz and below, 18 hertz and below, 24 hertz and below. And it's a Baxendahl curve, so it's a very gentle curve that doesn't really affect too much. Um, I don't know if I'll push back a little bit on the 32 hertz. Um, that's, it might be a little bit too high for me just because mm -hmm. some music, especially when you get into pop genres and whatnot, uh, we're playing with harmonics that really have never been played with before. Um and we're down, 
I'm not harmonics, I'm sorry. We're playing with octaves that have never really been played with much before in the past. Yeah. And they really haven't been able to. I mean, you look at the several of the, the reproduction um, methods, and it's like, or I'm sorry, replay methods, and you look at tape, you look at uh, vinyl, I mean, you really just weren't able to do too much uh, down there. So now it's like I, I, I had a guy uh, message me. He's like, hey, can you check out this uh, this master? I was like, sure. And he's like, what do you think about it? And I said, well, in all honesty, I can tell the guy doesn't use a sub when he mixed it. And he's like, well, how do you tell that? And I said, because per the genre where you are, I can tell that uh, you probably want to have something like you want to have like the low end extend far beyond where it actually is extending but he can't hear it so he's just cutting it off or just not allowing it to to do anything so with low end you do have to be careful because you could be completely working yourself out of like like with a very popular song a great sounding song you could be very quickly working yourself out of like a genre um by getting a little bit too heavy by shaving off low end and whatnot, but low ends where I where I'd check it out just because that's going to peak your RMS meter, and that's what's like Sam said. That's what's going to get eaten up by a limiter by a converter. Um, it's what's going to trigger non side chained compressors first, and you're going to really want to uh, you're going to really want to watch that. I mean, anything with outboard gear. I mean. It's going to determine what I can and can't use. If something's insanely hot and I want to get more of the vocal out, but I haven't done anything to the low end that is just extreme, then it's like I'm not going to be, it's like using some tube gear or using like the MBP or something like that. It's just going to absolutely clip the hell out of things and it's going to be completely unusable. So, but luckily you can just turn the volume down in certain areas. So, there's a <laughs> a bit of redemption there. So um, I'll also say with loudness that at least with me, loudness is more of a byproduct yeah. than something I'm seeking. Um, I don't think I've said this in this episode. I think I was talking to you about this, Sam, <laughs> that I I think that the least for me personally – uh, and when you kind of back away from some of the stuff like the top 40 and whatnot, and um, I feel like a lot of the loudness war is calming down. Um, and I'm having people say, I want this to retain the, I want this to retain its dynamics. And it's like I'm luckily able to produce most masters that are both loud and dynamic. Um, but I'm getting that more and more. But it's like they show me their references, and it's just absolutely slammed. But if I have a piano project, a good friend of mine uh, sent me an instrumental piano project, and I was listening to his references, and uh, peaks were around minus seven RMS, like the loudest, like peaks. And but like the whole album, like all the albums he was sending me, they were between minus thirteen and minus nine in terms of like where things would sway. And peaks were always just around minus seven. And I was like, okay, I can make this work. I have no problem doing that. And it's like, I'm not going to, for my own sake, just push something to oblivion. And now he's like completely louder than like his other, the, the genre he's trying to associate with. It's like, who am I to do that? 
So, I mean, as far as loudness is concerned, at least for me, it's more of a byproduct. Yeah. I know what levels I want things to come in and out of the gear at. Um, normally, all... I don't like to go... like Unless it's just like absolutely perfect, I normally don't like to hop into the gear any quieter than minus 15, minus 13, at the quietest. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is... Uh, what I'm about to say is completely subjective and objective and... It, it's completely different for everyone. Also, um, what I'm about to say, people also know me as somebody who likes to hit their gear like it owes it money. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. So it, it, it gets it gets loud pretty quick, but it's just about like how I do things, and I like to feel out the music. And um, so it's like if I'm coming in, it's like there's. Normally, like minus eleven is kind of where I do come in, and this is RMS. And then I don't know, depending on the source, I might like up or down a couple dB with the with the backbone on the input. Um, the backs doesn't get too much of a workout. The manly, the massive passive might get a little bit of bump, maybe like a half dB um, on the output, and then anything I do on the uh, on each band, normally it's boosting only. Uh, the manly very mew is normally pretty freaking cranked. <laughs> um, it's it's never really compressing though. Um, I got a Maslik ME two A, which is fun. But like I, when we do our gear episode, I'm gonna tell these companies y'all got to give me a commission because y'all are gonna be buying some. Um, but it, it, that to like where Sam is saying, it's like I'll dial in that vocal range, that like really sweet spot that like we're all like, yeah, like let's get that, uh, let's get that loudness up. And it's not necessarily just loudness. It's like let's get this forward. And then you give you give that a few clicks, and you're just like, wow, that just did that in an incredibly quiet and smooth way. Everybody says this thing doesn't have a tone, which is true. But it's not sterile and boring by any stretch of the imagination. And so that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to be selling some of those later. Um, The foot control systems has probably the nicest gain I've ever used. So if I'm not compressing, I'm normally just like giving that a couple clicks just because I like the way it sounds. Um, So if I do use any level and if it's something that like needs to get like some bumps. Um, And this is like, I'm not using like all this together. Normally just like a small chain I'm using. If I need to use it all, then something else is probably wrong. Um, the gain on the MBP is probably my favorite gain knob I play with. Um, you can give that like four or five clicks, and it's just like this really, really nice, smooth vibe um, that's really nice and enjoyable. The silk texture, the red silk actually adds a, a fair amount of boost as well. The blue does not. Uh, Stereo Field Editor does, I guess, a little bit. Um, the MPL2 I have that Maslik makes, that's normally always set at uh, my input at plus one. I just like the way it sounds, and sometimes I'll turn the limiter on if it's like like a really poppy tune, and like it gives it like an extra little like Shazam. So that's fun. And then maybe I'll drive the output, but of the Manly. But I mean, the output of the Manly is really just that. Really has to do with like what my meters are saying at the time. 
and then how much level is being hit at my, at the converter stage. And I mean, if I can afford to, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, the low end's not too crazy. And normally I'll do a print where I'll find the level I want to be at and I'll do a print of that. And then if I'm ever on the fence, I will back it off however much. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do a print and then make that up with the Pro L2. And the Pro L2 is just for like a little bit of top. And some modes have some like fun little characteristics to them. Um, But normally nine times out of ten, like bumping it into the converter sounds better. So, I mean, that's how it goes. But I mean, in general, like loudness is just kind of a byproduct of what's going on. It's like if I want to use the backs... The backs is going into the very mu, going into the uh, the massive passive. So the backs is essentially saying to the mix, I want you to hit this um, compressor this way, and this is what I want to hit this. And then after that, and I'm not a compress before EQ guy. I'm an EQ before compress. It's kind of like what my good friend uh, Angel Delgado is like, what do you do? He's like, he doesn't get why you would compress before you DQ. He's like, what are you going to do? You don't like mop the floor and then sweep it. You sweep it, then you mop it. <laughs> <laughs> so I normally EQ before I compress, but in this situation, in this little chain, I kind of like compressing before I EQ. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's all just like telling what, like whatever's next, what to do. And um, I'm never using just like one one piece. I'm never, I might just be using one piece, but normally if I have to use just one piece, I normally don't come out. Um, but like I said in the beginning, loudness is just a byproduct of like what's going on. It's not like it's important, but it's not like the end all be all. Yeah. But I mean, and it's I think Bob Katz had a fantastic quote. It's an old quote. I think it's. Um, it's not about how loud you make it. It's about how you make it loud. Mm. And I run a lot of what I do off of that. And you really have to be serving the song and you have to be serving the genre. And I'm not going to be running like a song that sounds like Jack Johnson up to like minus three. <laughs> it's just like not befitting of the genre. So I don't know. That's just me. What else you got, Sam? Keeping an eye on the clock too. Yeah, it's all good. Um, I mean, I think I'll I'll probably just keep talking about ways I make things loud. Let's just I'm just gonna give it all away, give away all my secrets. <laughs> I don't um, know if I have secrets. Yeah, it's not secrets; it's things I just learned from other people, pretty much. But I mean, I agree. I love the idea that loudness is the byproduct because I think that's that's the only way maybe to get loudness to me that sounds good is it's a byproduct of properly balancing your song and knowing how to use your tools. Um, and like with that, my segue is one of the ways to me to achieve really good loudness is to um, essentially do it in stages like you were talking about, Matt. Of You basically don't use everything all the time or max out one limiter or something um, that's probably the worst way to get a good sounding mix and a loud sounding master is to try and use one piece of gear to do everything. 
um, one of the probably, I don't know, game-changing moments for me was at Mix with the Masters years ago where I watched Joe and Andrew, Joe Bruce and Andrew Sheps, like the amount of compression they use when they record and then mix um, is insane. And I think we're all kind of taught like, oh, only take off a dB or two here and there. In reality, the more guys I have watched and shadowed and then in my own career, people are taking off in the engineering stage, you know, like 10 dB, 20 dB, mix stage, you know, they're taking off a few dB on the source, they're taking off a few dB on a mix bus, they're taking off 20 dB on a parallel that they're blending into another mix bus that's taking off a few dB. And all of a sudden you're taking off 10 dB on a mix bus essentially, (laughs) you know, adding it up. And it's like, once I heard it used, you know, compression, limiting, clipping, EQ balance correctly, it was a light bulb going, oh, that's how you do it. That's how you get, there's only, at the end of the day, like loudness has to come from proper balance and then raising the noise floor, which is compression, limiting, and clipping. Like that's the only way you get something to be perceived as loud more often, you know, than a than a dynamic song that moves in and out. And so, it just kind of made sense to me once I saw that like eight years ago or seven, whenever that was seven years ago, that mm-hmm. there were a lot of people telling me, "Oh, be gentle with compression. Don't do too much. You can't do more than this dB or that ratio on this source." and both of them just were like, it doesn't matter. There's no rules. Like there are things that we do to start that might help us understand what the source sounds like and how it'll react, you know, to then you have to decide, well, if that doesn't sound right, then you have to troubleshoot it. Maybe it needs an eight to one or a twenty to one. Like maybe it needs a fast attack instead of a slow attack. And it's just it's one of those things where for me, that moved me into position into a position with mastering where like I'm a big stacker of limiters and things where like I'll probably use anywhere from I'll usually I'll use like two or three limiters in mastering. Hmm. And they're all doing different things um, at different stages. And that is easily one of my biggest tricks that like, I didn't make up. I mean, you could Google this and probably find a hundred people talking about stacking limiters, but not like back to back to back. It has to be used correctly. And you, to me, you have to know what the limiter sounds like and how it reacts to take advantage of this. But stacking things in small increments, like taking off, if you want to take like three dB off total, don't do it with one limiter, do it like with three limiters taking a dB off and figure out where that fits in the chain to achieve the loudness. So that's one of the like, I don't know, I'm going to call it my my trick or tip or secret, but other people have done that. Um, it's, it's just a smoother way to get things up in volume and raise a limiter and a compressor. They're raising the noise floor. Like I've said that before, but it's basically raising up all the other information that is quieter. You're re- re- reducing dynamic range. And... 
within that, you're removing usually low end on some level or extreme top end. And so if you do that all in like one swoop with one limiter or one EQ, it just usually doesn't turn out as well in my experience. But when you stack things up gradually, you're able to achieve a much louder end product or fuller end product. And if you're at home, you can do a simple test of like take 3dB off with an L2. And then if you want, like just take 3dB off total with three L2s doing 1dB in a row. And the, the signal chain that's only that's doing the, the three L2s in a row. Hmm. I don't recommend doing this because there's way better ways to get loudness. But it will sound better than the one that's just doing 3 dB of reduction. Um, and I, I don't, we don't have to get into the science of why that is, but I have to imagine that it's just, it's reducing over time less critical information and less intensities. Um, as opposed to the limiter going, oh crap, we got to take out 3dB. Well, let's just take it all out of the low end right now. Well, well, it's like if you figure it, like, okay, so like I said, you don't have to get into the science of it, but let's just kind of like envision this for a second. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to take out a 3dB chunk and my attack and release are set identically, yeah. I have like a moderate attack, let's just call it like attack, like right in the middle. Yeah. And then my release is as quick as I can. So if I'm coming down 3 dB and then going up right there, yeah. Like your release is never going to be as fast on that 3 dB than it is going to be on the 1 dB three times. There you go. That's brilliant. Yes. So it's like just just look at it that way. Yeah. That's great. So yeah, so that's that's something I do like if needed. If something is like 15 dB away from where it needs to be, as far as like final, probably dynamic range or loudness, then I know right away it's like, okay, I got to, they want it to be here. This is what they sent me. Um, I need to figure out how do I get this there. And I know the solution isn't take off 10 dB with one limiter. Like I can do it via saturation, limiting EQ balance. And I can do it with clipping, which is my what I want to talk about next. Um, it's kind of the last thing I want to talk about, which is clipping. And clipping is like so, to me, misunderstood. Um, and people are usually often confused on clipping. And you can find so many articles of people saying clipping's irrelevant, or clipping's the secret, or clipping's what you know every mastering engineer does. Um, but to help people understand, clipping is basically just when you push um, the gain of a signal past basically what the, the gear or plugin can handle. So you can clip in the digital world, which usually sounds really awful um, for the most part. If you're clipping your DAW or clipping the signal coming in or out, it usually distorts um, in an unpleasant way. And basically, the waveform is changing shape from say a dynamic waveform to more of a sine wave looking type thing like a squared off rounded off type look which is what a limiter does as well but basically you're doing it through a process that's not supposed to happen that yeah way. exactly <laughs> that's basically digital clipping to me is is never um, never very helpful in the mastering stage um, digital clipping in the mix stage or as an effect can sometimes be helpful, 
but most of the time we do not like digital clipping. We like analog clipping, um, and they sound very differently. And basically, for for me, analog clipping, what it is is you push the signal once again higher than the peak voltage of the piece of gear that can handle it. And so when you do that, um, it basically rounds off that that transient and kind of we've used the word bloom and other people have too, but creates saturation and harmonic content distortion that then creates more signal around that transient at the end of the day. And so you begin to hear um, or perceive that these harmonic distortions are basically becoming louder or they're, you know, they're making it be perceived as louder because of the way the clipping in the analog works, the analog clipping works. And so for me, clipping can be a very useful thing. I can either clip you can at home you can clip a piece of gear any piece of gear you don't have to clip in a converter a lot of people will just say like oh you can only clip converters you can clip like a guitar amp you clip it when you crank the gain like the tubes break up that's clipping you're clipping the tubes they're distorting you've pushed pushed it past where it basically its headroom is and now it's distorting and so we like that um like the Better Maker Mastering Limiter has a clipping section in it where you can really dial in clipping. And if I push it too hard, it begins to really, really distort. And sometimes that's not appropriate. But clipping is a very useful way to get something to be louder because you are removing the transient and replacing it with essentially extra sonic harmonic content, um, essentially more voltage just redistributed. So that can be a really easy way to get loudness and there's a few like plugins that do model clipping re- really well to me like the Oxford limiter and inflator they're both based on clipping um to my knowledge and they have a very interesting sound that I really like um and I'll use the the um there's a company let's see Stillwell Audio is the plug-in company. They have a clipper called Event Horizon, I think. It's actually free, uh, excuse me, free to demo. You're supposed to pay for it if you use it, but it is, out of all the clipping I've ever played with, you know, probably 10 different ones over the years, this plug-in to me sounds the most like clipping in um, the analog world. So sometimes that plug-in for me I'll probably use it more so in the mix stage or on drums or 808s or something, but the clip function on that plugin sounds fantastic. Um, and so if you are looking to achieve a louder sound, um, clipping could be the solution, but you just have to be, with all of this we're talking about, you have to just use your brain and use your ears. And like Matt said, which to me is like really the whole point of the podcast is loudness is the byproduct. You know, it's it's a it's a it's just a result of treating the audio well. Um, but really, clipping is definitely something I do on a lot of my masters, um, and it sounds terrific. You know, it's it's tasteful distortion. Um, it doesn't sound digital. It doesn't sound harsh. 
um, and that comes from proper mastering gear that's made to clip and high, handle essentially high voltage that exceeds it. So, um, so that's kind of the last few things I wanted to talk about. Um, but basically to recap for me, and then I'm done, is like our ears perceive loudness in a certain area, 1K to 5K. Those are the areas you have to nail down if you want loudness. Um, it all, too, goes back to the original sourcing. If you record things really poorly, it's never going to sound loud. If you mix it really poorly and it's not even close to balanced or you don't have that tangible perceived loudness area dialed in, it's not going to sound loud. Um, and so you have to you have to understand that your expectations um, can only go as far as like the sourcing or mix allows, which we've talked about before. But there's definitely ways to get loudness uh, in a good way, and I think that's the ways we've you know talked about today. And I'm hoping that people out there, if you're trying to get loudness, that this has helped today. So, Matt, that's all I got. Nice. Take us home. Uh, I think that's about all I got, too. Something that I really don't care about, <laughs> and I could be completely wrong, is <laughs> like the red lights on plugins. Yes. I really just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and it's normally like it doesn't matter if it's before or after. And it's like, yeah, maybe a limiter will eat this. We'll see how this sounds. And I don't know. Like, normally I just kind of like, like, unless it just sounds bad, I don't really care like how the plugin's being hit. Yeah. Like, if I'm using it, I'm like, oh, there's a red light there. But it doesn't sound bad, so let's keep going. And I know that'll be like kind of like a mind-blowing thing for some people. But if it doesn't sound bad, don't stop doing it. <laughs> right. So if, like, you can keep pushing it, then okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. If on your, like, fader, you're, like, in the red, yeah, it's probably going to start sounding like crap. But I don't think, like, a lot of these manufacturers that make them, maybe zero might not be zero. And I don't know, maybe it might might have like a little bit of like security built in to like point however many dB. And you might be able to, sounds gross, violate that <laughs> a little bit. So, and it's like, I know people who like are like playing with analog gear, and like everything's in the red, clipping lights are on and stuff like that. And it's like, they like literally just beat up their gears. Like, geez, I feel bad for your wife. It's like, watch a master something. Like, I've, like, physically said that. They're like, what? It's like, oh, nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, they just, like, beat up their gear. Um, but, yeah, uh, there are no rules. So just make it sound good. That's the biggest thing is don't make – is if you make it loud, don't make it sound like crushed asshole unless <laughs> crushed asshole is what they want it to sound like. That should be so, a plug-in. <laughs> I can think of a couple plugins that it already is. So – Anywho, with that said, if you like what you heard today, uh, give us some likes, stars, wherever you are. Uh, a comment would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you like the song that's probably playing in the background right now, it is made by um, the very talented Sam Moses and uh, over at BeesaBeats.com. So if you like that, go buy one of Sam's beats. Um, what else we got? What else we got? We have, I don't know if what well, we have merch. Somebody asked me today if we have resting glasses, so I had to actually text my wife. Do we have these? So uh, I think we have merch, but if you'd like anything, I would love for you to buy that thing uh, before my wife and I have a baby in July or Sam's getting all that merch. So uh, 
that would be absolutely fantastic. I'll, I'll have to check what we have left before the, the next time we record one of these. So anyway, uh, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're having. Have a darn good one. Sam, cue up the music. Cue it. See y'all.